And we're going to look at Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. I found a, a little interesting before we get too far. I got five points. The first point is the angel. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem into, uh, into, unto Gaza, which is desert. And he rose and went. That's the first point, is the angel. And in that point, you see the first line of that portion of Scripture says, and the angel of the Lord. Now, you wonder why I make an issue of that. It's very important. When we get to the end of the message, I think you'll realize that he isn't just any angel. It is the angel of the Lord, shows possession twice to the last individual Listed there, the only individual in that phrase is the L-O-R-D. So there is an angel of the Trinity that is shows up 58 times in Scripture. And the first time it shows up in Scripture is Genesis 16, 7. And the last time the angel of the Lord shows up in Scripture is this book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 23. So there's something you might miss here if you don't realize the significance that this is just not any old moment. The angel of the Lord is for very important points in Scripture. And here we have the, uh, the angel bringing us this story. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Cadence, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasures, and came to Jerusalem for to worship. I forget the exact uh, situation, the feast that he was there for, but it was a common feast, and he came there to Jerusalem. But an interesting thing, that would be point two. We looked at point one being the angel. Point two is the man. He was an Ethiopian, and we explained that in, in uh, service this morning. He was a black man. And he was a man, there's four things to realize about that man. He was a black man, meaning he was a Gentile also. And that's one reason we get pointed out. He was a Gentile. He was a eunuch. He was generic. He represented man as mankind, not necessarily with this day and age we live in and gender identification problems. He, if anybody had a gender problem. Uh, but it was self-imposed, not self-imposed, it was imposed on him by his conquerors. He was conquered, but yet he had, number three, first he was an Ethiopian, a Gentile. Second, he was a eunuch. Third, he was of great authority. But fourthly, even though he was of great authority, he was under great authority. This man worked for the queen of all of North Africa. And he was very responsible and very uh, coherent, very uh, active, very diplomatic. You can assume a whole lot of things from this guy because he's at the top of his pay scale in his situation. And uh, he was a man, and he was used by God, or God loved him. No matter what your race, no matter what your ethnic, ethnic background is, no matter what your social standing is, no matter what your authority is, you always, and keep this in mind, no matter what your authority is, there's someone over you. There's always someone over you. The president goes, we, we, we all the time. 
And he, he doesn't know who his authority is, but he has people over him. Shouldn't be that way, but to sacrifice to get to where he was in office, he's had to put himself under somebody's authority. And before you <clears throat> accomplish anything in this world, before you achieve any authority in this world, you're going to have to know how to put yourself under authority. I was told many times when I started a church, uh, you're so used to being independent, Pastor Anania, and you're an evangelist now, and you're going to go on to a church of 5,000 people, and you're going to be a hireling there. Well, I never did take a dime, but you're going to be a subservient there. You won't be able to make it. No, I says, I know what it is to lead, and frankly, I've had enough of that. <laughs> and so I was an assistant pastor, sat on the podium, and had the honor and the responsibilities of pushing the guy in front of me, ahead of me, honoring my authority. And once I was showed I could do that and proved to myself and to God I could do that, he turned around and says, you're ready for some more. So first, before you abuse your position, help the one ahead of you, regardless of his position, help him in his position. God has a structure and an order for things. And if you stay within that structure and order, he will bless you. And he gales you when to violate that structure. It's all clear. Paul was very used for that example in himself. I'm not going to go there. That's not the lesson today. The lesson is a man, just as human as anybody could be, but yet he was seeking God. He had went to worship, as we had people come to church today for the first time, some of them, to worship. I don't dare say a lot of these people haven't been to church and some of them in years. Some of them were here just last year. But he was a man and he was seeking the Lord and the Lord will honor that. And he not only sought the Lord, I get a kick out of these ladies and I've had the opportunity as a police officer and as a counselor in the prison of my own peers and of inmates. I had one guy tell me, he said, my wife left me. I'm in on the shift. He's going to get an excuse to go home. And I says, well, you go home. Tell me how you, where you met your wife at. Oh, she's, she was running around. She was in the bar. Well, you know, you went and looked in the wrong place. This eunuch was looking in the right place. You want to find a spouse, go to church. And the big churches caught on to that a long time ago. They have single clubs in their churches and the whole world. Her sister goes to a bunch of them. <laughs> she's a sweetheart. And, uh, and it's, she's, she's single and she'd like to be married. What a better place to meet somebody is in a singles group in a church. And that's what young people, we joke about uh, individuals going off to Bible college to find a spouse. Good place to look. Good place to look. It's good. Uh, so this man was honored because he stayed within the realms of his boundaries where his place was in society, what God had dealt and allowed in his life, and he sought God through the right perspective. He didn't punch in a key on the Internet and say, what do I know about Jesus? Who's this Jesus? I had a fellow that I worked with for two or three years. You're thinking of the same gentleman, the guy at Lakewood, the Lake Marshall. Very, I could tell he wanted to know more about God. But every time we had a discussion about God, he would bring up something he had read on, some, on the Internet. 
And he says, you're getting full of all this baloney. And he says, you know more about what you don't need to know. And it, and it, so look for God in Scripture. And this man was honored because that's he went to church, he got a portion of God's Word, and he was reading it. The big scribe, you can see the thing, guy going on the stagecoach kind of thing, and he's riding along the road. And then we meet the third point, a prophet. First we have an angel, we have a man, we have a, prof, a man of God. Queen of Ethiopia, the charge of all her treasures, and came to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting on his chariot, read Elijah the prophet, God's word. Then the spirit said to Philip, Philip, now we have two prophets there right away, double witness. We have Philip and we have Elijah in the form of his printing, Isaiah, I-S or E-S or whatever. And we went to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. And uh, that's a double witness, the prophet, and I'll tell you a little about Philip. Do you know who Philip was at this point? Who he was? Philip was one of the seven. The word, the three of those words, one of the seven. One of the seven. Those four words are four letters, uh, number fours of the earth. They were the first four deacons chosen for the church. Philip was one of them. The other one, one that we read about a lot in Scripture for a while, was Stephen. So Philip and Stephen, Philip was one of those four original deacons. He was one of the seven chosen by Jerusalem, by the Jerusalem church to assist the apostles in their administration of daily affairs. Like Stephen, Philip was far more than an assistant helping with physical needs. He was a spirit-filled evangelist. And that is taken from this book, verse 21, chapter 21, verse 8. It says he was a spirit when... The, he was first a deacon, and then he moved on up. He was faithful to that job, humbled himself to pick up dishes, and then feed the widows. And then the Lord blessed him and helped keep him. And as he submitted himself to those in authority above him and became faithful, he was able to be honored by God and ended up being an evangelist. He went all over northern Africa. When the Christian were scattered beyond Jerusalem due to the intense persecution by Saul, Philip was one of the first to take the gospel to the non-Jewish people. We always tribute Saul with that, but Philip went there first. In fact, he went to the Ethiopian. He had no qualms of running up to a black slave and telling him about Jesus. God confirmed his message with miracles in verses 6 and 7 of this chapter. And the people saw one accord give heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Acts chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Unclean spirits cried with a loud voice coming out of many that were possessed with them and many taken with psalms, palsies, and that were lame and were healed. And they were of great joy in that city. That was Philip. And that's the first part of this chapter. And it goes on. And he went to North Africa, spent time in North Africa. He was an evangelist. He doesn't, and don't confuse him with the Philip, who was the apostle. But he went on and settled in Caesarea and is found in verse 40 of this chapter. He goes to Caesarea, and it's confirmed later. I believe in Acts, oh, somewhere else in Acts. I'm looking at my notes there. And so he's got a history with the church. 
20 years, he was an evangelist and went all over North Africa. You know who probably went with him? I don't have scriptural scripture for this, but I have evidence that I've talked to men who talked in North Africa that told me that Didymus came and seen them. That's doubting Thomas. He said his great-grandfather accepted Jesus Christ as his personal, great-great-grandfather accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, and he was older than the hills, too. Uh, he'd have to be about 2,000, 2000 years we're covering, but to them, great just means my ancestors. And uh, he said, great, great. His ancestors came to know Jesus Christ because of an apostle that came down called Didymus. And Didymus was Thomas. And there's Ethiopian people all over North Africa that uh, attribute the gospel to Thomas. Doubting Thomas, who we call Doubting Thomas, just for a reference point. But also, uh, also Philip. So there's God's man. There's a couple of things when you type in God's man you need to keep in mind, and that's why I'm bringing you this lesson, because it's got a little sting to it. When we're all done here, I'm going to get to a sting. Uh, and it's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. And I don't bear to, uh, I don't, this rings in my ears, this verse, and it's not because I have any pride involved with it, but I have responsibilities. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, and Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 is what we're going to look at. And that particular phrase comes up three times in Scripture, all in Hebrews. I'm going to go to Hebrews 13, 7, and it says, Remember them which have rule over you and have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, the other verse that goes along with it is 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves to that. Submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. As they must. These last, see the first part of the verse scares me. I don't, I don't relish the first part of that verse. I'm not a dictator. I am too, I'm easily forward and I'm easily strong and, and, and know what I'm doing, and it comes across that sometimes as a dictator. But I don't relish in that. The thing that motivates me to be a dictator, if I am one, is the last three points. Of, this is a three-point verse, and the first point is obey them. But it says, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. That's what scares me. This isn't the sting. This is just me explaining myself. This is something I'm getting from this portion of Scripture by the man that we identified with in the first place. And then we go on to the prophets, and what makes an average man different from a prophet is simply that he is appointed by God. And you people confirm that appointment with me, and I'm proud of that, and I'm thankful for it. But at the same time, I am very fearful that I have to give. There it is there in that portion of Scripture I have to watch for their souls that I, that they, and that's me, I, and that's how I read it, as I must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, and it's, it's unprofitable for me. So if I can't deliver you all of God's word, he's going to hold me accountable. And we're getting to the point where I have to, uh, I enjoy you, and we're getting to the point in this message where I have to give you all of God's word. 
and I don't enjoy what I'm going to do when we get down to verse 37. If you look in your Bible, you'll see that you probably have verse 37. If you don't, you have the wrong Bible. All right, we'll get there. That's the only thing I dislike. So we got the angel, we've got the man, we've got the prophet, and we've got the God. If there's any doubt about where we're at in their point four is understanding what thou readest. Philip ran hither unto him and read and read of the prophet Isaiah and said, Understand thou what thou readest? And I think that's where I threw out this morning, Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I am responsible for each and every person in this room as much as God holds me accountable for it, for each and every one of us to be obedient to the Word of God, to understand the Word of God, to know what God's Word says about various things. So forgive me from time to time if I get too frank or I get too forward with you and say, we just can't do it, or the answer is no, or uh, this is the way it's got to be, or that kind of thing. But that's just part of growing up. That's not the message. That's not where we're going with it. What I want you to do is I got to be accountable for each and one of you when you stand before God and say, I never read that. That's what I got to be responsible for. And if you haven't read it, it's going to be your neglect, not mine. That's what I got to assure. But I got to make sure you're reading the right thing. And that's why we labored on the true gospel, the true Christ, the true spirit. And we're going to, this is the last you're going to hear about the true Bible. Because if you don't have verse 37 in your Bible, which a lot of them don't, you have the wrong Bible. And I'll be held accountable for not telling you that you have the wrong Bible. That's, what the, that's the hard part about this message. And you all know how I feel about a Bible. If one's, <laughs> The King James is the best, but I'm trying to convince you why it's the best. Okay, let's move on and take place in Scripture, which you have read. Scripture is the heart of our faith. We're in verse 32. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He that was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb, dumb before the shearers, so opened not his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall decline his generation, for his life is taken from the earth. When Jesus Christ's life was taken from the earth, he was hung between heaven and the earth, and that's a very, uh, being crucified was the most severe death of the time, it came from the uh, predecessors to the Romans, and it was a cultural thing that showed you weren't fit to be buried. They often left you on the cross and let the birds eat you because you weren't fit to be buried. You hung between heaven and earth. You weren't going anywhere when you died. You were going to decompose and get eaten by the ants and the birds. And that's what that punishment was about. Then Philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Funny, they had the same scripture. They didn't. They don't. They don't talk about it being the RSV or the NIV or the, you know, Good News for Modern Man. It's the same scripture, and that's that's why I got to talk to you a little bit about it. And they went their way, and they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, "See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized?" And we can go on baptism here. I'm not going to linger too long. But we know baptism represents God's son's gift to us as mankind. He died for us, and he rose again, such as we're submitted into the water 
And I'll give you the verses for it. I do it every baptism. And that's where we went this morning. We concentrated on salvation, baptism, and church membership. All three, huh? And Jesus, when he was baptized, went straightway up out of the water. Well, here, Matthew 3.13. I got this little slip I've had for 20 years. I take it out whenever anybody asks me about baptism. I got it memorized. I've used it in different places. And then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. Witness testimony by example. We touched on that this morning. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway. This is Matthew 3, 16 now, 17. And the first part of Matthew, when he comes to John the Baptist. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, and who I am well pleased. And again, testimony by example. And we touched on this, testimony by example, in the verse 13 of this very chapter of Acts. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wandered, and wandered beholding the miracles and signs which were done. And then in verse uh, chapter uh, 16 of the same book, Acts, we see 32 and 34, saved and baptized. And in Acts 18, 18, we see another, by example, saved and baptized. Pretty sensitive subject if you're in the wrong congregational group. Lutherans baptize infants. They baptize them in case they don't get saved. Catholics baptize them to, to, to join the church. They get the cart before the horse. We touched on that a little bit this morning. It's a very sensitive subject. And so if you're in the business of printing Bibles... You want Bibles that'll sell. Brother uh, Hughes, Ryan Hughes, came to me this morning. He says, you know what the most, he says, Pastor, I found that interesting. You said the most sellable book in the world is the Bible. And I go, yeah. He says, do you know what the most stolen book in the world is? And I go, no. He says, the Bible. And he asked me, how come? And I had to think for a minute. And I explained to him, as the Holy Spirit told me what to say, I explained to him, I says, yeah, it's stole. It's most popular. It's going to get stole because it's valuable. I says, when I was in Hades, and I had to confirm with you what place it was, I was in the open market in Hades and seen a beautiful leather Bible. Uh, you know, a $40, $50 Bible here, and there it was about the same price. Only the average person in Haiti makes $50 a year. So that Bible was valued at a year's wages in the community I was in. I was down by the what they call, uh, they used in Cuba, it's called the Bay of Pigs. I was on the other side of that bay in Haiti, and it's called the uh, uh, Shore of Pigs or something. And there's wild hogs running all over, and people are starving, but they don't touch the pigs, or they're too sharp and fast, because all the sewage from Mexico on down comes on down through along that great and gets washed up on the shore and the pigs eat it. And that's one reason they want to eat the pigs. They're contaminated with all kinds of diseases. And that's why you shouldn't eat pork unless it's cooked. And that's why the Bible talks about clean and unclean, to, to just keep things straight for your, for your own benefit. Again, if you obey God's word, you'll benefit from it to whatever degree you know. All right. So, we're establishing the importance of God's word in all of our lives, and it's important in, in us to understand baptism 
and gives us direction and guidance. And we're back to verse 36, then, or 37. Then Philip opened his mouth and began the same scriptures and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Question there. And this is the only time in Scripture, and I touched on it this morning, that by the Word of God we know what to do, that baptism follows salvation. But if you're selling Bibles and you want to make a buck, you've got to make it a little more palatable for everybody, and you want to sell. Like I said before, I use the example, my mother-in-law, dear Christian woman, a little bit charismatic, but that's not bad either, and she sold, she got sick of carrying rosaries and hymnals, uh, bulletins and stuff in her Christian bookstore because she didn't want to sell to all the Catholics. They were one of her biggest customers because the town was basically Catholic and poor, poor Protestants and true Christians that came in. And Protestants are true Christians if they're of the right mind. But they all come in and uh, They'd buy this or that, or maybe this or that, but the Catholics would come in, the priests would say, I want you all to get a rosary tomorrow, and they'd go down and buy a rosary tomorrow. Okay. They were supporting her. If you're selling Bibles and you want to make a good Bible, you want to make one that not everybody gets upset reading. She eventually closed a Christian bookstore and gave a lot of Bibles away, me receiving one of them. <laughs> and... Uh, <clears throat> So if you're in a business selling Bibles and you find out that Catholics and some of the Lutherans and some of the Methodists and all the, the last church we helped start was uh, we bought an old church. And that church, they gave us the baptism with the church. You know what it was? It was a bird bath. <laughs> it was a bird bath up in the corner. And they took the little kids over there and they sprinkled them. And if you notice that this portion of Scripture, and I tried to emphasize it this morning, he went, they went down into the water. Down into both people. And so, that's what I said. I don't mind ruining a suit or a pair of pants. They both into the water. Can't do that in a bird bath. But we bought it, and we put in a baptismal. We weren't fortunate in Kansas. There's not enough water to have much for an outside baptism. <laughs> uh, where I'm getting at is you're going to publish a Bible, you better, you better take that out of there. Right there's the scriptural proof of baptism. And oh, don't tell me about the received text and the other text because we'll, we'll, we can, I'll, I gave you a chart on the Alexandrian text and I gave you a chart with the uh, other text involved and I'm not going to try to confuse you with all that. Because regardless of when you read, I'm going to, let me finish the point, the book. So we have number one is the angel, number two is the man, number three is the prophet, number four is the God, and we see that emphasized in the place in scripture which he read was like a, uh, he, he read was as a lamb before the slaughter, and that, ram, that lamb is identified in verse 37. As Philip says, if thou believest with all thy heart, thou, sh thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. Now that rings with one verse that I find that's really important in salvation. 
Romans 10, 17. Could you read that for us, brother? Romans 10, 17. Why don't you read 17, 18, and 19? Uh, no, let's read what Romans 10, 9 through 13. 10, 17 is a different verse, and that's all how beautiful the feet of those that were <laughs> in the gospel. It's my justification wearing cowboy boots. But uh, Romans 10, 9, brother. Yes, sir. I told you 10, 17, and I was wrong. Thank you, brother. And the rest of the verses just complement that and talk all about what you need to do to get saved. And that's what that man did, and that's what's chopped out of half your new, new translation. You want, I'll read you what the NIV says. I'll read you what the NIV says. This is a copy of the NIV. This is what I ran downstairs to get. I have one, in, I have one right here in the parallel translation. And... Uh, I'll read it to you here because I didn't want to get into all that. As they travel along, as this is verse 30, well, I'm going to read 34. Then the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. That's great. That's kind of understandable. As they travel along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can... What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Then when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Did you catch that? Verse 37 is chopped out of the NIV. If you're real fortunate and got a newer NIV, so many people have gotten after them for dropping that verse. They put it into footnotes sometimes. Sometimes. I had an individual this week that attends this church fairly regularly tell me how they preferred the NIV. I can't, I, I had to preach this to get it off, to get, get the responsibility out. And I have it on the recorder for anybody who's not here. And I'm going to ask... If anybody has any questions or any arguments, first they listen to this record, this this, this uh, recording. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, you know what the NIV says? Now an angel said to Philip. You hear the fairy tale markers we talked about? <laughs> Sounds like this whole thing's a dream. It's all, it reads like a dream. It just reads like, oh, yeah. And what hinders me from being baptized? You need to be saved to be baptized. And how you get saved is by confessing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, which he did, and believing in your heart. A direct attack on salvation. The real gospel is eliminated in that scripture. I don't even, it's a version. And all versions are subject in, uh, to errors like that. That's why I don't even type in KJV when I'm looking for anything on Scripture. I type in KJB because it's the Bible. Everything else is a version of it. And I know enough about the history of text and everything. They even ignored in this particular passage, they ignored either one of the received texts. One of the reasons I say that is here is the little old Darby version of the Bible that I read as a little Catholic boy. I wasn't your age. 
and I read this thing to get saved. And you know what it says? Let me go to Luke's chapter 8. This Bible happens to be whole, a translation from the Latin Vulgate, includes the received text, but also includes the, uh, the Alexandrian text. And Saul has yet breathed out threatenings, and we got chapter 9. Let's go to 8, oh, 37. Let's see what it says. I'll start in uh, 36. And as they went their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hindereth me from, bapti from being baptized? Question mark. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he said, answering, I said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Closer to it than the NIV. So don't stand there with, tell me you're a born-again Christian in a New Testament Baptist church, and you're following the NIV. Because you're not even as close as the Catholics who persecuted your kind rather easily. And use this book. I have been to places, and I'm getting excited now, but I've been to places in, in Mexico, right there with a brother in Christ, stood there where they had the Inquisition, the Mexican, the Spanish Inquisition, and seen a room where they took a lady, stripped her naked, and sat her on a pyramid and put Bibles on, on a scale, this Bible on a scale, and... The more she couldn't quote any of it, the farther down it would drive her on the thing and kill her. I've seen people die for this Bible, and it's more accurate than the NIV. I can't, I can't tell you that. But yet, people hold that Bible up, the New International Version, and it's, it's a piece of trash. It's an abomination unto God. And if I wouldn't say that to you tonight, I'd be held accountable, because I know it is. Now, again, it's better than nothing, but not much. How would you like to be? I'm glad I got that close when I was looking for the word. Isn't it? I, I felt like the eunuch going along in the chariot, and here comes, here comes Philip up to me. I'm so lucky that I had some people that kept me going even though this was the wrong text. And this is the text that, that Westcott and Horth love. This is it translated into English, as close as it can be. This is the text that represents the Church of Antioch, or not the Church of Antioch, the uh, Alexandrian text from the Alexandrian cult, which uh, the Catholic Church still holds in the Vatican today. This is the text that is the mother to the RSV, NSV, you name them, Unless there are the, now, there are some other Bibles, and you've got the chart, you've got the stream that are decent. They're just not fully complete. But Tyndale used this text when he translated Scripture. And Tyndale is no longer a Bible scholar in God's eyes because he polluted his own text with this one. But yet, this one is closer than the Jerusalem Bible. This one is the closest you're going to find to the King James Bible. This text right here. So, there's an argument. There's why you're going to a church that we put the King's Bible on the sign. 
and I'm, you know how I feel about it now, but you know I have responsibilities I have to proclaim and give you some reasons. And been very kind to try to address you. And if you have other questions, we could go as deep as you want to go. But this is very simple and an open case. And I was all done with it till I got the person this week that told me all about the NIV. And I just couldn't back off of it. And I don't hold it against anybody. I really don't. Praise God they come to this church. Praise God they're reading God's word. Praise God. So I just want to put it out there for you. You do what you want with it. There's more. If you want more, we'll talk more. Could go on and on. But that's what we got. We have the angel. He's not an angel. It is the angel of the Lord. We have in this text the issue about south. <laughs> it says go south to the road in the NIV. South is what you call going south. Do you know where the term went? And I hold it, Mrs. Ensley, because <laughs> I feel the same way you do about the south. I love the south and I love the Bible Belt. But when you say something went south, it's because it comes from Scripture. When things go south, they go wrong. And if you read this passage of Scripture out of most translations, it starts out with this whole thing's wrong to begin with. Amen. <laughs> What's it? God's going to come out of the east, isn't he? North. Yeah, I don't know. North or east somewhere. It's not going to be. It's not south and it's not west. <laughs> so we all have, we all have uh, things. And that's why... Honestly, when I want to study God's Word, I, I, I was going to present it all from this NIV text, and I couldn't do it. I just kept going, this doesn't make sense. This isn't going to write out. What happened to the, what happened to the angel of the Lord here? And, you know, the angel of the Lord, like I said, it's 56 times in Scripture. That's 8 times 7. 7 times 7 is 49, at least it was when I went to school. And you add another 7, you got 56. That's the number of new beginnings. The, you did this. I haven't read the book, and I won't read the book about the Bible codes, but I believe in Bible numerology. And God has a way of presenting everything in Scripture, and to keep it in order, it's mathematically sound. And you can check yourself on that. And so that was one of the reasons that the Lord blessed me and let me know who the angel of the Lord was, because there's people that debate that to this day. Okay. That is the point. That's where I wanted to go with some of this, but I didn't think it was something we needed to look at on Sunday mornings. And I didn't think it was uh, was that pressing to begin with, but I just felt because of Hebrews chapter 13, preachers, oh, you got to, I'm the ruler. No, I'm the one responsible. That's what I don't like about it. <laughs> so I had to get get that responsibility off my chest and put it out there, and it's on tape. I was used to a lapel mic. It's on tape now, and if you got somebody who wants to argue with preach about it, I'm going to ask them to listen to that first, and then we'll talk, and that's all. I'll, I'll be glad to fill you in on different portions and different reasons and the different texts and all that. But uh, I think we're all under the understanding where we're at with it. Let's all stand. I want to thank you.